0: I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. You're listening to Coupé Profond, or (laughs) Deep Cut. (laughs) Nailed it. Nice.
1: On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us.
0: We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to.
2: This episode, we're going to talk about my girlfriend's boyfriend. Wait, hold on. That's me. We're talking Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's me.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm kidding, but we're going to be talking about my favorite Romero film, which is also titled Boyfriends and Girlfriends.
0: Or Hoes Before Bros. It goes both ways. Alternate titles.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so this is Romero's 1987 film that is the last of the comedies and proverbs cycle. And we cover one of those, which is The Green Ray, in our first Romero episode. And this one is based on the proverb, the friends of my friends are my friends. And kind of similar to the rest of them, centers on a female protagonist. And in this case, the so-called lead character is Blanche, played by... Emmanuel Cholet in her, I think, only Romare film, huh. which is rare because usually they appear a few times. She stars alongside Sophie Renaud who plays Leia who has been in A Good Marriage and the two men I've not seen in other Romare films and that's Alexandre and Fabienne. And then we have Anne-Laure Murie, who plays Adrienne, which you see in The Avious Wife as the young 15-year-old. Looking very different in this film.
0: No. No,
2: that's yes. her? Yes. That's no her. No way. <laughs> she looks oh. so different.
0: I this think six it's years the after. hair. It's also the hair. Yes. It's a massive it's hair. hair change. Also, question. Does anyone know if Sophie Renoir is related to... The famed Mm. director Jean Renoir. And I have an answer for you because I searched it up. Which is? Yes, she is. No way. She is the daughter of cinematographer Claude Renoir and the grand niece of renowned film director Jean Renoir. Mm. Makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does.
2: <laughs> French film circle is probably smaller than we think. Definitely. <laughs> That's kind of all the context I have, because I feel like this is the last of all Romer films, but I think this, if I were to recommend anyone watch a Romer film, this is the one. This is the most accessible one. This is the most fun one. This is the one you start with, and then you're like, what else is there? This is The Gateway to Romare. That's kind of it. It's my favorite Romare film, and I just want to hear what both of you think.
0: Eli, go. You just finished. (laughs) Yeah, I, I literally
1: just watched, and it was such an easy, peaceful, friendly movie. And one of the things that Ben has said to us off mic is that Romare movies are really good for discussing afterwards. And I find that it's incredibly enjoyable to watch in the moment and then... I know we're going to dig up so much stuff by talking through it. Oh,
0: definitely.
1: I don't know. I'm thinking about the costumes. I'm thinking about the location. I'm thinking about these long takes where people just get to be together on camera. I'm thinking about nature versus the suburb. There is a lot there, but it's also just kind of breezy and friendly. And it reminded me of Shakespearean romantic comedies Mm. in some Mm. way, because things start off in a way that they shouldn't be for these characters and they end up okay and you sort of know that it's going there along the way and it's enjoyable because there's that promise of a happy ending kind of inherent in the atmosphere of the movie i enjoyed it i <laughs>
0: i loved this movie so yes. much <laughs> oh, you know, you know man uh, <laughs> i watched this movie for the first time fuck, when did I watch it? Like, a week ago? And then you watched it twice <laughs> after? <laughs> we are recording on August 11th, and I watched it for the first time on August 4th. And then on Letterboxd, I'm up to 1,999 films, so I was scared to log a 2,000. Weird flex,
2: but okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. You can look on Letterboxd whenever this episode comes out. And then I, I just didn't want to log a 2,000 film, so I was like, what better way to spend my movie watching time by watching this again and then i had extra time today and i was like well i could like nap or (laughs) i could just dive back in and i love this film so much i love how it makes me feel inside it is around the end of summer and this is sort of like me grasping on to the last images and ideas of summer that i can in my life out of all the Romare films we've seen, it is so light and airy, to quote the Green Mm. Ray. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love light and airy things. And it also has such a pure and beautiful friendship at the film's core. That's what the whole movie is birthed out of, is this Mm. friendship that buds between Blanche and Leia. And I just think that's so beautiful. And yes. it is also the source of a lot of the conflict that develops through the film and the anxiety. But you know that the friendship is the most important part to them. And that's why mm. it's holding them back from the romantic pursuits. I actually don't
2: agree with that. <laughs> okay, before Eli goes into this, summary, what what is this film about? This film was about Blanche and Leah. They become friends and then they somehow get embroiled in a confusing love quadrangle and (laughs) love
1: quadrilateral baby
2: (laughs) and are like into each other's boyfriend slash love interests and they're not sure what to do about that and it's a very light screwball romantic farce if i could really classify it as anything yes and there's some windsurfing in it for
0: some reason really makes me want to windsurf (laughs) oh yeah it does i have windsurfed it's very hard Uh, (laughs) but it looks really cool What are you going to say, Eli? What was I... What was your take, Wilson? (laughs) I was talking about how the friendship was the core and how...
1: Oh, I think this movie shows a friendship that matters between Blanche and Leia, and that sort of falls by the wayside as they have romantic pursuits. But it doesn't portray that fading of a friendship as something wrong. It's very natural and kind of positive, and they both end up where they need to be because of this friendship. But... I think the movie lets friendships and relationships change, as they do in real life, in a way that feels natural and organic.
0: I don't think that's disagreeing with me.
1: <laughs> but I don't think by the end, the friendship is the most important thing to them. I think I see them parting ways a little bit to be with their new boyfriends.
2: I think I beg to differ because of that mm. final interaction, yeah. which I guess we can start there. Let's start with the ending, because... This movie is made by its ending. Yeah. Yeah. Classic (laughs) ending. What happens at the end? So Blanche is interested in a guy. Leah has a boyfriend. But then at the end of this film, Blanche gets together with Leah's ex-boyfriend. And then Leah gets together with the guy that Blanche was having a crush on. Which is a very symmetrically perfect kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Coupled by a very symmetrically perfect final few frames where the wardrobe of these two couples is completely complemented. where the women are wearing blue and green and then the men are wearing green and blue kind of start to explain just look at the poster <laughs> 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 it'll make sense that final conversation i thought was so sweet and i do agree that it kind of betrays a little bit of romero's more conservative side which is that he kind of sees men and women falling into relationships and then kind of going on their lives. And I think Romero is part of the reason why in cinema people think of romantic engagements, not in terms of the ring, but rather romantic couplings as a sort of ending Mm. where you want to get together with somebody and that's how things end and then happily ever after. Romero is part of that. And I think he's conservative in that sense that he believes a lot in the union between men and women. Not necessarily in marriage, but like in relationships. Right. Yeah. That they're supposed to get together as romantic couples. But still, I think at the end, there's a strong affirmation of the female friendship at the center between Blanche and Leah and the way that they both have a boy now and then are also still really good friends. And I think there's something really beautiful and cute about that.
1: I agree with that. I think they have also changed and maybe aren't, the same type of close friends that they were at the top of the movie. And that's Mm -hmm. perfectly
2: okay.
0: Or are they close friends enough like when they see it's like a good match? They're like, I'll let you have it. (laughs) Yeah, they're happy for each other. Yeah.
2: This last scene is just incredible. It's so good. Where the two women accidentally decide to meet their men in the same outdoor cafe and then start revealing to each other the thing that they've been (laughs) keeping secret but then realizing they're talking about the wrong person. (laughs)
0: <laughs> my favorite moment
2: is when they realize and they're like laughing about it, and then there's a silence, and Leah's face is like, "Wait a minute, you slept with my boyfriend." <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but then after she's like, she's chill,
2: she's no, like, "Whatever." Right after, right after, <laughs> after she, says, she, I she got questions her, she
0: says, "Yeah," she says, "I got my revenge." Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious, and I don't know, also sweet, and like they're like, "Oh, it's okay." Yeah. That's a very weirdly light and breezy quality to the deceit the in this movie. Yeah. In the central infidelity where Fabien, which is Leah's boyfriend at the time, sleeps with Blanche, Leah's best friend. Which should be a huge crushing thing that happens in another movie. But in here... It is thought of as a huge crushing thing, but ends up becoming a sort of whimper at the end. It's France. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But I I think even in a French movie, there's more import to something like this. And this one, the significance is all imagined and Mm -hmm. all part of Blanche's anxious mind.
1: But then in Fidelity, in a different Romero movie, which we've already discussed, Love in the Afternoon, is
0: treated with a lot more weight. I thought that was an interesting comparison point. I do think that boyfriends and girlfriends is very much on the side of like young people in love versus love in the afternoon being like I don't know you're you've been That's on true. this track for a long time and I think what's beautiful about got babies yeah, <laughs> yeah what's beautiful about boyfriends and girlfriends is the idea that when you're young love is fun love is fleeting it is the time to like play around with love like this and hmm. I think, all four of these main characters have similar approaches to the way they treat love. They're supposed to be enjoying themselves and they shouldn't get down on themselves that hard. And I think that is what Blanche and Leah both come to realize by the end of the film is like, oh, yeah, like, why not? They learn the distinction between what they
1: feel they should want versus what they actually want
2: yes yes i was writing some notes so this film is on my best friend cinema canon list great list and it's the film that made me make it this film made me realize that i love films about best friends just hanging out and having good time and then also like (laughs) arguing a little bit and this one is basically that and i love that in my initial review and on my initial watch the thing that i took away the most from this film is that the meet cute is between the two women becoming best friends and then talking about swimming which is very random (laughs) (laughs) and then just become friends and then immediately they're just best friends and I love that about this and that friendship is so strong but then I also realised that in terms of romantic movies this is kind of he's the one slash she's the one cinema where somebody is with somebody and then the audience is constantly telling them no you should be with that guy (laughs) like that's the vibe of this film and it's exactly that where you're thinking Blanche should be with Fabienne and it's so obvious, but then they're resisting it. And you know Leah should be with Alexandre, but she's resisting it, and you're like, why are you resisting this?
0: How early do you think that you were clued into the Blanche Fabienne pairing? Cause for me it was pretty late. Like what when they kiss? Oh, like, what are you no, thinking? It was it was like it was like only when Leia has that important scene where she is about to leave to go on her week off. At her grandparents, and she gives Blanche the Roland Garros tickets, and says, like, oh, who knows, maybe if he's available oh, yeah. and you're available. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, okay, Leia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, she makes fun
0: of it, and then she laughs, and then she says it again more seriously, mm-hmm. like, a line after, and I'm like... No, she actually genuinely means it. Like, if she's broken up with him, She's yeah. like, yeah,
2: fuck my boyfriend, yeah.
0: You can take him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. I-, I didn't know that that was an idea that we're-, we're-, we're thinking about. But yeah, thank you, Leia.
2: I think the first time I saw this, I wasn't sure where it was going. I was like, okay. Like, what's going on? Like, we're just hanging out for a while? We're going windsurfing? All right.
1: <laughs> but there are so many clever little ways that Romare puts that desire in you to see Fabienne and Blanche together he's using coincidence super well like when (sighs) Blanche and Fabienne run into each other and yeah in the ending when they end up at the same restaurant he's using these things to nudge you towards what you really want to see because he's planted that desire in you very quietly it's sneakily a super well-written movie and again it reminds me of things like shakespearean romantic comedies mm. because the desire to see two people end up together who you have the feeling will be good together is such a strong propulsive force mm. through a narrative that it allows him to use coincidences and things that in yes. other movies might make us go huh okay that's true and also this is neither here nor there but when blanche starts to follow Fabienne and alexandre in in the <laughs> shopping center <laughs> oh yeah I was like oh are Fabien and Alexandra gonna kiss like
2: is that what's about to happen <laughs> who knows okay wait this is my dream that I think there should be a queer reimagining of this where like there everybody just kisses everyone because yeah. there's so many moments where you're just like okay maybe now the lady should kiss or like maybe now the men <laughs> should kiss
0: like when they were at
1: the table at the ending I thought that Blanche and Leo were gonna kiss yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean they well, kind they of did. do they did they sort of did they did, did but like, uh, it was like oh 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 okay All right, well
0: <laughs> But if you're into that and also into reality TV, are you the one season eight... (laughs) Has an all like bi or pansexual cast. And it is usually a straight dating show, but now it's just a free for all. So everyone's just having sex with each other and it's wild. Surprise,
1: Um, you're actually all supposed to end up with all of each other. Yeah. (laughs) There are no individual pairings. You're all
2: the one. (laughs) You're all just one P sexually, (laughs) like a jellyfish. But yes. Wishing for the queer remake of this. But <laughs> you're right, Eli, that the desire for people to get together is why the ending is so satisfying. like right? The most yeah. satisfying Romero yeah. ending. Because it really it's one is. with so much conclusive power compared to most of his other films where it's not really tragic. It's not really open-ended necessarily. It's just like, you know what? Everyone gets to be happy. And yeah. it's awesome.
1: <laughs> There's real optimism and delight in yes. the whole movie and especially that ending.
0: It's a work of magic. After
2: you mentioned when she follows Fabien and Alexandre, that's like one of my favorite scenes. Because (laughs) that's a scene where Blanche sneakily follows the two of them who are just like hanging out. And then engineers a situation where she <laughs> runs into them so that she can talk to Alexan and then completely flubs an opportunity to spend one-on-one time with Alexan. Right. And then after that, goes home and cries about it. And I was like, Aww. girl, I feel you.
0: Oh, that crying <laughs> scene. That crying scene is so good. Like, out of yes. all the sad girls crying in Romero films, <laughs> this is the best scene. It's so good. Because you see her slowly enter her really sad apartment complex. White apartment (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh, They're still like putting in all the grass outside on the field (laughs) behind her, but it's still just soil. So it's just like a block of gray on frame. Yeah, And you just see her walking in. And then you see her walking into the apartment in the next shot. And the following shot is through the mirror of her bathroom. And then she appears like she's already crying. And she looks at herself in the mirror and she's like, get it together. And I'm like, I feel you so much. I love Blanche
2: because like, she's so anxious. And you just like, Blanche, you can find love. That's just kind of how you feel for her. You're just like, you know, you'll find love somewhere.
0: Everyone chill. And
2: he's right there. Except it's your girlfriend's boyfriend. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When she sets
1: out to follow Fabienne and Alsanche, there's a really great shot where she steps out of the store from which she spots them. And she looks... And then we see what she's looking at, which is Fabian and Alexandra walking off. And I thought to myself, I don't know which one she's looking at. And the point, of course, is that Mm -hmm. she is interested in both men at this point. Mm -hmm. But it turns from a POV shot into one where she walks into the frame. I don't necessarily have a point about that, but it's just a clever, calm,
2: low-key little way to switch up the rhythm and keep you on your toes. I think the way that Romare covers scenes in this is really interesting, and I think this film is the one that gives you an idea of what he's doing because he doesn't really have one mode of covering his talky scenes. No. Some films he has more long takes and in some films he uses a shot reverse shot and you see that in Green Ray, love in the Afternoon. Here he kind of has a nice balance of both which always keeps you on the toes. The scene I remember the most in terms of this is when Fabienne and Blanche are walking on some kind of little pier kind of thing.
1: Yes. And mm-hmm. it, it
2: constantly moves between a short reverse shot thing or a medium long shot where it's like cut above the knees to the head, which is pretty wide and then runs long. And then he moves between a longer holding on the wide shot versus short reverse shot. And that really keeps these conversations moving. And then because the blocking is dynamic, it makes the conversations feel really lived in and real, but also not boring. He's not staging conversations, you know, two people sitting down across from each other, short reverse shot all the time. Although sometimes he does that. Sometimes it's a two-shot where they're sitting next to each other. So he's constantly playing with the blocking. That makes things interesting and light and airy. Right. <laughs>
0: I love it. <laughs> he also uses a lot of zooms in this, which I really yeah. love to like really segment out segment out tableau blocking where they're sitting next to each other. So one of the biggest examples of that is when, one of the first times that Blanche and Fabienne are hanging out together and they're having, I think a barbecue or a meal outside in the garden with Leia and how the the camera is like at a three shot and then sort of zooms in to cut Blanche out when Leia and Fabienne are like talking to each other. And then when Leia starts bringing up this girl that's interested in Alexandra, it starts zooming out back into a three shot and then zooming in on a single of Blanche. And I'm like, that's so economical, but so effective. And I think this is like one of the direct things that Hong Sang-soo just out of the Romare playbook and just really made it his whole visual style. And, um, He's much less subtle about it. Oh, definitely his zooms are just
2: like... I can hear the zoom lens moving <laughs> when he does it. You know, that kind of feel. When Hong does it. And then here it's just like, you know, there's something yeah. to motivate it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Hong <laughs> really makes it his own. Um, <laughs> that zoom that you bring up,
1: especially the first one that goes in on Leia and Fabienne, also just raises the stakes because it subtly makes you believe that they could end up together as a couple. Yeah. It is the camera highlighting the two of them and their union and space. Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, it backtracks from that.
0: It's so beautiful because the the script... Is already like playing with this relationship dynamic. And then the the camera is just there to like back it up in a really Mm. showy way. Yeah.
2: That scene I was talking about where they're walking along that pier thing and talking. The way it ends is that it goes to shot reverse shot between Blanche and Fabienne. But then it ends on this shot, if I'm not wrong, of Fabienne. Then zooms out to include Blanche. And then they walk off together. Mm. Where it's like there is a push and pull between them. And then suddenly at the end it's like, let me join the two ways of covering the scene and put my characters together as they leave. And so there's a very strong suggestion that these two should be together. You know what? I have a hot take. Ready? Yes. Hot take.
1: Ready. Go for it. There's no score in this movie. I think that the camera blocking and camera movement and editing act as a score that are Mm. telling us things that a score might in other movies, suggesting where people work well together and where people might break their union. And we, right now in this conversation, are picking up on feelings from the camera movement that a score
2: might tell us in a different movie. Mm-hmm. It is musical yeah. camera movement. I think he plays it very well, because like you also have not just camera movement, but the way that things are cut. Yeah. yeah. Like We talk about like, the double chance meeting between Blanche and Fabienne, and it's covered so simply, and <sighs> it's just a bunch of wide shots. It shoots down these corridors, but then it's just kind of like, Here's him, here's her, here's him, here's her. And it's just kind of bouncing between them as they meet each other. So there's like a playful, rhythmic quality to the way that they meet up. Mm. Like this film isn't something that's necessarily following one character too closely because it cuts around, shows you all the characters doing different things, although it follows Blanche the most. But then when it kind of pulls out in a scene like this, it's kind of like you are, not say omniscient, but almost like this bystander who has a good view of everyone and are able to pick out all of them, and you see the rhythm of coincidence and chance and fate within the Romero world. And mm. the rhythm of the editing mm. really builds into that.
1: Another thing that Romero does to keep scenes dynamic is that he will often plant a subtle little action in the dialogue scene so that, for example, Blanche's wetsuit, the zipper gets stuck. That's oh. something that both gives a process... To the scene something that needs to be accomplished it brings them closer together physically and it spawns new conversation between the two
2: of them mm-hmm. it's such an efficient choice that does so much he finds a lot of charm and humor in extremely mundane shit sometimes and yeah. i love that
0: same and how everyone is able to like launch into a story that reflects back on their character Which will, I guess, lead into, I guess, more attraction or less attraction in some cases. (laughs) I think it's such a well plotted out and well structured film in its script.
2: Even if you look at like the first scene when they first meet up and then it's just this chance meeting and they start talking about how they hate eating alone both of them, yeah, and then that just starts them off talking about themselves, and then they kind of start vibing, and then they walk off together after lunch, and they just start talking about swimming, and then they become friends, so it's well plotted, but because it's based on such mundane stuff, you don't really feel like it's plotted, because it feels so relatable all the mm-hmm. time, even though my life is not like a French girl's, I feel like <laughs> it relates to me, <laughs> somehow, because I feel like, yeah, I could have this conversation wearing a very big jacket. I could (laughs) (laughs) Also, I love for big jackets Uh I see a lot of people shitting on the 80s fashion In comedies and proverbs
0: And I do not understand Bring everything back (laughs) Nah, I wish I dressed like that Every day of my life Also, it really helps that This time around, everyone's good looking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was hoping you would talk about I'm that. Very, very, very pleased. And I think that was the biggest difference, which makes this a five-star movie and Love in the Afternoon
2: a four-star movie.
0: Fair. Is
2: cinema is a visual medium.
0: <laughs> it is. And if there's nothing to appreciate on the screen, how am I gonna enjoy this movie? <laughs>
2: I made one tiny observation this time which I think is possibly something that was thought about, which is that Fabienne and Blanche have blue-green eyes and Leia and Alexandre have brown eyes.
0: Of course they do. (laughs) Of course they do.
2: And there's a lot of that blue-green colors going on, which also match Mm -hmm. up with the windsurfing area. Yeah. And really complement that final scene so well, Mm -hmm. where that two shot of Blanche and Leia has this incredible background of the water and the trees that's also blue and green as the both of them are in blue and green. And I've noticed that a lot of Romero films tend to shoot trying to get rid of the sky. Right. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily always the case, but I feel like I see it a lot because he tends to put the camera kind of at head height. And so it sometimes points downwards towards the characters. And then that kind of brings the ground up in the frame. Mm -hmm. Whether it's trees or the ground itself. Or like when he puts them on a hill, then the hill rises up behind them. So he tends to cut sky and put nature and buildings in the background. Which I think is interesting because it's almost like a postcard background. It's gorgeous.
1: While we are on location, partway through the movie, I just started wondering where was this filmed? Mm -hmm. Because the way that he's using the town specifically and nature is very purposeful. And it's doing a lot. It's funneling these characters towards each other. It's visually breaking them up using things like columns in the Mm -hmm. shopping center. So I found that the name of the town where it was filmed is Sergi. Oh, (laughs) here we go. And it's what's called a ville nouvelle, which is a new town.
0: Mm. Oh, a Denis ville nouvelle.
2: (laughs) Ooh.
1: These were suburbs that were built near Paris, sprawling out. And they had large influxes of young people and mm. new families moving to them, especially in the 80s, which is when this is filmed. It was the steepest incline of immigration to these towns from the cities and the smaller villages. But Romer had an interest in these new towns. He made a short documentary series in 1975 about these new towns, and he did one on Sergei Pontois which is the setting for Boyfriends and Girlfriends 12 years afterwards. Wow.
2: No way. Nice research.
1: So he already had an interest and he had a familiarity with the town and he used it. What I get from the use of the town, along with something like Blanche's costume changes from these professional outfits that don't quite fit her towards more casual clothing as she is pairing up with Fabienne, there's a lot of posturing of these young people to be young professionals in this Mm. shiny new town that doesn't quite feel lived in Mm. in many spaces. Blanche's apartment, the shopping center, it's all very pristine, either white walls or new brick. And it goes in conjunction with what I said earlier about these characters are doing what they feel like they should want rather than what they genuinely want. And so when they move closer to what they actually want, they move out of the city, out of these stodgy professional clothes that,
0: by the way, are Still cool, I like those outfits too. <laughs> <laughs> Eli wants to say on the record that he likes the clothes in these movies this movie. <laughs> yeah. Alexandra looks great in that
1: suit and they move towards the countryside towards the water and into more comfortable clothing because they're moving towards what they genuinely want for themselves. Yes. Not an idea of what they should want.
2: They want to win, sir. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) You're making me think about how this feels like The Sims when you talk about new (laughs) towns. It's like like an empty slate kind of thing where young people are trying to figure out their lives. And I think... He's kind of playing with them. I mean, Romero's pretty old at this point, Mm -hmm. talking about making a movie about 20-something people, which is pretty interesting. He's almost like, not playing God, but like (laughs) kind of playing with the idea and like using young people as almost dolls and putting it in weird romantic situations. Mm. (laughs) But he has a very keen and sharp sense of the kind of people they are. I'm always struck by Romero's attention to people's occupations mm. the opening of this film is the credits and the credit sequence shows all of them doing work in their individual workspaces and except for blanche we never go back to those workplaces for fabien alexan and leia which is interesting but he always uses occupations to kind of shade in an aspect of a character and in this one people talk about work they talk about what work suits them and the kind of work they should be doing and i think that's very interesting i think that's also something that Possibly helps this also become more relatable to people Mm. watching this at the time. Where they're like, yeah, I work at Power and Light. Or, yeah, I'm a bureaucrat. And it roots it in some kind of reality. So they're not just people that are part of a story. That the director Mm. made up. They feel like real people. And the other thing about this film that I love is that, compared to a lot of other Romero films, which are very constructed and tightly plotted, which this is, this one chooses to have so many scenes in public. Mm. probably shot run and gun in a sense Mm. which are echoes from the green ray where they have all these you know scenes in these tourist spots with real tourists running around right here you have bustling city centers shopping centers and the windsurfing place lake where people are also just doing their thing you have cutaways two real people just hanging out at the park and the lake and it really feels like a real place because it is And I like the vibe that that gives. Like, the real world gives this film, compared to other Romero films, more life. Even though it's so constructed, it feels real.
0: Yeah, I really felt that with this one.
1: And conversely, we've all seen rom-coms which don't have a strong sense of place and don't Mm -hmm. have a strong sense of characters actually living life outside the boundaries of the movie. And we get to the end of the movie, and I know I think well, wait, who are you? Mm. Like, what do you do? Mm. And it matters.
2: It's like the characters are just existing for the relationship for the movie. You really need that feeling of real life to make people feel relatable and then to be invested in the romantic yes. stuff that they're entangled in. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit about Linklater's before trilogy. And it's been a long time since I've seen those. And I think Before Sunrise of the Three feels the least real because he sets it in a tourist town. And then there's no kind of things for them to relate to Mm -hmm. in that town that they're in that they're not from. Because their characters are not from there. So they're just in alien places talking about lofty concepts and stuff. So then they feel quite written. Mm -hmm. But then when you go into Before Sunset and Midnight, there's more context that's built in through the years, right? Where Before Sunset, the sense of the fact that Ethan Hawke's character is a writer kind of sets in. Mm-hmm. And then with Midnight, the fact that they're a married couple sets in and the fact that they're friends sets in. And those elements help make those feel a bit more lived in and real. So yeah, I don't know. I think that's an interesting touchstone with Linklater using so much of Romero as an influence mm. that you can kind of see where he is weaker than Romero in some sense, yeah, at least early on, but then kind of figures out what he needs to make his films better.
0: I want to talk about the scene where they finally get together in the middle of the woods and this sort of push and pull back and forth. I'm going to kiss you. No, I'm not. And then Fabienne says this beautiful line about his dream, about, like, he goes into the woods and this other girl that he doesn't know goes into the woods and then they, like, make love and then they, they part ways still anonymous to each other. And then while he's saying this, it cuts away from the two shot of them to just a slow panning shot of the woods around them. Mm. And I was like, I'm so sold right now. I'm so sold. Like, you <laughs> have to go for it. <laughs> like, now's the time. And then she does go for it. She says, I didn't think this is a guy's dream, but more a girl's dream. And then they start making out. And I'm like, yes, this is like one of the best scenes ever (laughs) it's just so beautiful because even earlier in the scene they get to the clearing in the woods and blanche is looking around and she starts crying and this is just crying yeah (laughs) i love it and and then that is what i guess gives fabian the chance to like embrace her and Mm. i just really feel blanche in that moment and her straining so hard to like make this decision that mm-hmm. is like, what do I choose right now? Like, I'm so in love, but I also am thinking about my best friend at the same mm. time. What an incredible scene, man the acting of this is really great because everyone's just exactly
2: perfectly cast yeah like the nerviness of blanche is so palpable like you can feel her palms sweating yeah (laughs) and like when she's talking to alexander and also when she's talking to fabian when she's like damn i like this guy but what do i do now and like when she like fidgets the flower in the one of the previous scenes like she has so much like nervy energy coming out of her (laughs) that makes it really endearing Yeah. And I love that at the start in the scene you're talking about where Fabian embraces her and then they pull apart and they come together again. The blocking of that feels so well thought out. It kind of teases you. They're like, they're going to start kissing. No, they're going to stop. And then, okay, no, they're going to do it. And then the next scene, they had sex. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I also thought it was kind of cute when Fabian goes like, can I, before he kisses her? Yeah. And then she's like, okay. <laughs> and then it's like kind of cute that he asked for consent. Yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> my God, I'm just super swooning for this movie. <laughs> the whole <laughs> runtime, I'm just like have a big grin on my face. Yes, I'm like fully.
2: The first time I watched it, I was like, "No way!" There's always this like feeling of anticipation. Yeah, and then like something good happens, and then like yeah. they pull it back a little bit, and it only at the very end does it like give you everything. Yeah, huh. yeah.
0: It's like that meme at the end, you know, where it's like that the guy's like texting, and it's like to god and he's like when question mark i'm like that's what? how i feel wait no, i've so never just, seen this meme what is this mean? it's like a screenshot of a text and the text is to god and the message is when like when will this happen to me <laughs> never mind some listeners will get it <laughs> it's because y'all are paired up so it doesn't concern okay. you <laughs>
1: okay While we're on acting, Alexandra Appreciation Hour, (laughs) dude is charming. Oh, Yeah, yeah. even when he's
2: being very, very forward, you're like, damn, but he can do it. Yeah. Like when he starts flirting with Leia at the end, you're just like, damn. And Leia's like into it, but she's like, no, but she's into it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love the montage of Leia and (sighs) Alexandra falling in love.
0: So beautiful. Which is
2: just crazy because... You have this longer narrative in terms mm-hmm. of movie time of Blanche and Fabienne falling in love. Both of them are more neurotic and anxious people. Yes. And then they try to figure shit out and then they get together. <laughs> then you have Leia and Alexandre, who are like, they're just total chillers and very sure of themselves. Yes. And the moment they decide they want to get together, it's like, bam, we're in love. Yeah. Let's sleep together. Let's stay together
0: for six days or something. That's like in the last 10 minutes of the movie before the last scene. <laughs> yeah, I was checking the runtime of the movie when Alexandra and Leia have that conversation where he tries to get her to come with him on his trip or tries to get her to move in with him. A lot of different things, just tries <laughs> to get with her. And I was checking and I was like, wait, there are like 15 minutes left in this movie. Yeah, And in that 15 minutes, Romare ties up everything with Blanche and Fabienne, but also at the same time, constructs this whole romance between Leia and Alexandra that is so believable. It's so convincing. Exactly. In that... Six or seven setups, right? Right. Like different kinds of scenes. And at the end, you sort of treat both couples equally like you have mm. equal affection towards both of them and i'm like okay so this is where this is an example of fast track storytelling <laughs> and an example of slow track storytelling all together in one
1: film this movie is exactly what it needs to be when it needs to be and i want to like do a scene breakdown or something because just the way it rises and falls is so expertly concocted it yeah. feels so natural
0: Lightning in the bottle right there. Lightning in the bottle.
2: (laughs) This film has so many like tiny acting moments that I really like. That are like blink and you miss it type things because they usually Mm. happen in wider shots. One of those is after Fabienne and Blanche hook up and then they go to the party with Leia. And then Leia and Fabienne are there and then Blanche walks in probably feeling very weird about everything. (laughs) And when she walks in, Fabienne's face... It's just like... uh, He has like a smirk going on and then he's... He knows Blanche is still into him but not sure what to do about it. And like, it's in hindsight probably a bit weird. But then like, in the moment you're like, this is kind of funny and fun. And I love that. And then another moment I like, which is like, one of my all-time favorite things in films is when filmmakers choose not to show you stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm. And there's this scene when Leia comes back. Which is the scene right after Fabienne and Blanche hook up. (laughs) And... Leia comes in and you're like, oh fuck, what's gonna happen? Is Blanche gonna out herself and talk about the sex that she just had? Or is she gonna hide it well? And then she has this little nook where she has her drinks. Yeah. And the moment that Leia tells her, Oh, me and Fabian are back together, is when you cannot see Blanche. You at don't all. see her
0: face. Yeah.
2: And then you're like, oh fuck, what is she thinking? What is she thinking? And then she comes out and you're like, oh shit. What you gonna do? This is a bad situation. That moment also aligns with what's happening in the dialogue,
1: too, because Leia's talking about, it seems like you've changed. I disappear for a week, and (laughs) I get back, and I feel like everyone's changed. And Romare is literally hiding
0: Blanche from view in that moment. Another example of holding back information... I guess specifically from Leah is when she comes back later on, like a, like 20 minutes later in the runtime, and tells Blanche that she broke up with with Fabienne, and that happens off-screen, and then Alexandra quickly joins them, and Mm. you just see, just on Blanche's face, because she doesn't say much throughout the scene. The point of the scene is to show how disconnected that she is from Leia and Alexandra, but it's so clearly played out in her face. It it is the slow realization that, A, Alexandra has no interest in me, and B... Fabienne is actually the one that I'm thinking about. Mm. And then you see it come to a boiling point in her emotions and then she leaves. That's perfect.
2: What I like about that scene is also the play of like what you know as an audience member and also what the characters don't know. Mm. Mm. Because there's something really fun about watching stuff like that when Blanche leaves and then Leia reveals at least what she thinks is the truth, which is that she reveals to Alexandre that the reason she left is because she has cold feet about him. And then he quite brutally says, I'm absolutely not interested in this lady. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very (laughs) flippantly. And Leah's like telling him that Blanche is so into Alexandre. But you know that when you're watching this, that the reason she leaves is she's probably also thinking about Fabienne. It's not really about Alexandre at the time. It's actually more about Fabienne. And then when she goes back and sees the letter from Fabienne, she's so happy about it. Because she, at that point, kind of figures out that he's the man for her rather than mm. alexandre mm.
1: i like that at the ending it's leia and blanche who know what's happened but the men are just like oh okay
2: <laughs> there's a really funny moment when fabian comes along and then sees alexandre hiding yeah. from the two women and then they, <laughs> and they just he go gives a wave <laughs> they're constantly shaking hands yeah i love that the men are just kind of like the romantic objects in this and then they're just kind of they're kind of dumb in the sense that they don't know the drama they're just part of it <laughs>
0: right <Yeah.
2: laughs> they're just like yeah I'm just trying to get laid and get a girlfriend but some shit's going down and I don't get it <laughs> <laughs> and then the women are just like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> my best friend her feelings <laughs> and the men like have zero concept they're just kind of stupid about it <laughs> <laughs> have no idea
1: what's going on <laughs> Adrienne is interesting she's a little mean yeah oh
0: but I love, I love that. I love
1: that. We need a little bit of that. She's like the mean friend in Green Ray. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she
2: gets the real talk, right? She's just like... <laughs> like cut the crap. Does he give a shit?
1: I love the blocking in that scene where Adrienne is talking to Blanche earlier on Oh, and she on keeps on, on walking movie.
0: away, and she keeps on following her. And yeah, she Blanche keeps on walk. walking
1: away. Here's another great example, though, of blocking that, if it were just held in one wide, it wouldn't necessarily feel natural, but... Romere does the right amount of panning to follow Blanche walking away and Audrey and catching up and cutting to a new angle to keep up with the two of them. Yeah, It's such a delicate balance between blocking without cutting and cutting to situate around new blocking so that it all feels natural. Romere and his editor Maria Luisa Garcia are just such a good
0: pairing, match made in heaven. Wait, Eli, now you need to watch The Aviator's Wife. This is <laughs> okay. like still fucking with me. Like I like still like am so shocked by this fact that she was the lead girl in <laughs> Aviator's Wife. Yeah, I, I
2: do not see the resemblance at all. It's kind of confusing. And between the two films, it's like six years. So in that film, she's fifteen. Here yeah. she's like 21, twenty one, but she looks 21. like she's thirty.
0: Yeah. Like it's wow. kind of strange. Like it she aged so wild. fast. Like what is the,
2: what's going on?
0: She has
1: so what I would call a not great haircut in this movie. <laughs>
2: if anything should be left in the eighties, it's that haircut, right? <laughs> Ooh, rough.
0: And here I am, like looking at Fabienne's hair, and I'm like doing this while I'm watching. I'm like, how do I do this? How do I have this little poof in front of
2: my hair? That's all I got about this movie. I don't know if y'all have anything else. Love it.
1: It's nice. It's great. It's kind of masterful in a very quiet way.
2: It's just kind of a good time. Yeah. yeah, you love it for what it is. It's really just a film you watch. and You just kind of, you just live yeah. in it for a little bit. And you love that experience. Mm. It's not trying to be exceptionally flashy. And Romero is never trying to be exceptionally flashy. And what I find kind of interesting now that I'm talking about this is that a lot of filmmaking is about using film tricks to make you interested In the story, when you talk about, say, close-ups to get you closer to a person or using cutting to get you invested or to make you feel the intensity of a situation or using flashy camera moves to do that. But here, he's doing the bare minimum. But the thing that works the hardest is the characters that he concocts and the situations Mm -hmm. he concocts. And they are the thing that makes you want to watch it. And he doesn't have to try very hard to make you invested. And, I don't know, maybe other filmmakers should try and invest more time in that too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they do. They do. And those are the filmmakers that were inspired by Romare. That's true.
1: At this point, we've really covered a range of types of directors on that spectrum. On the more overt, formalist, stylist, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. our people like Rogue and Lynn Ramsey. Yeah. And Varda, to a certain extent. And we've also talked about Correta and Wiseman Mm -hmm. and now Romare who are deliberately removing those tools from the toolbox and in a way there's more of a direct entry into characters without working quite as hard though of course no one way is better than another and every director that we've talked about I think uses the things in their toolkit to great advantage and Obviously, because that's why we're talking about them. I'm very
2: biased because I just love vibey directors. (laughs) But actually, I don't know. Like, sometimes I find that certain vibey directors I like more than others. I'm not sure why Romero is so much more resonant than some other directors. And it's really hard to pinpoint because I think this kind of more low-key directorial style, you need a very stealthy directorial hand to make it work. Yeah. Mm. And I think we mentioned in our Coriator episode where like he is very good at that, stealthily introducing plot and giving you characters to align with. And Romare too is very good at that. Yeah. Uh, without using too many cinematic tools. And he's able to lull you in and lure you in and make you feel invested in characters. Yeah, I think as a person who just likes looking at people, I think that's kind of why I usually fall in love with this kind of filmmaking very hard when I do, because it feels like people watching but you're given a very very good front row seat it's almost like a movie you watch and you're gossiping about fake people (laughs) i feel like i've said this before about some other movie but yeah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for introducing me to
1: romare ben i'm really excited to watch more just like it's a director with whom it's an instant click for me nice
2: me too i love that both of you have
0: fallen in love with romare as much (laughs) as i have i sort of wish that this was not the last episode but it is a good one to go out on. Hey, we can always return to more. If there's
1: popular demand for it, cast your vote <laughs> this November for Romare.
2: <laughs> we just talked about his pirate pieces, which I still haven't seen, by the way. <laughs> this is a slice of Romare, but it's like missing a big chunk, which is the pirate pieces I have no knowledge of yet. Oh, my recommendations for... If you like this one, yes. watch Four Adventures of Renette and Miverbell. That's one that's purely best friend cinema, because... <laughs> There are no men that important in that one. That was just two girls hanging out and they might be
0: gay, but Romero's not going there. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh, God, I wish. I wish he was still alive, man. I wonder if he would
2: have made something more overtly queer. Right, right. It would have been fun, but maybe he was too old to have a good opinion on that. I don't know. Because right. I feel like he was making a lot of films about his youth. Hmm. But in contemporary times.
0: But I'm sure there's a plenty of people who are going to carry that torch for him. Yeah. The new Hamaguchi film, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Be sure to check oh, it out oh, because oh. there's a, a little, little gay <laughs> no, stuff No, don't happening. tell me. Don't tell me.
2: <laughs> don't tell me. <laughs> okay. Thank you both for going on this journey with me. Also, thank you to all listeners. Thanks for giving me two deep cuts because I'm an indecisive little prick.
1: (laughs) Hey, that's what Romare movies are all about.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's actually very true. (laughs) I want to see a Romare film with you in it, Ben. Yay.
2: <laughs> I would love to be in a rumor film. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. And I can speak French. Eat good food. Go to the French countryside. Wee 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 wee. I can speak French beaucoup. Yeah. Ooh. Deep cut beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when our next episode drops. And you can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at DeepCutPod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. And thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time.